This is a reading from Psalm 104. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Lord my God, how fantastic you are. You are clothed in glory and grandeur. You wear light like a robe. You open the skies like a curtain. You build your lofty house on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot, going around on the wings of the wind. Overhead, the birds in the sky make their home, chirping loudly in the trees. From your lofty house, you water the mountains. The earth is filled full by the fruit of what you've done. You make grass grow for cattle. You make plants for human farming in order to get food from the ground and wine, which cheers people's hearts, along with oil, which makes the face shine, and bread, which sustains the human heart. The Lord's trees are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon, which God planted, where the birds make their nests, where the stork has a home in the cypresses. The high mountains belong to the mountain goats. The ridges are the refuge of badgers. Lord, you have done so many things. You made them all so wisely. The earth is full of your creations. And then there's the sea, wide and deep, with its countless creatures, living things, both small and large. There go the ships on it, and Leviathan, which you made, plays in it. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm your lead pastor here at Zao. So if you didn't know, you heard it here first. Badgers are in the Bible. You're welcome, UW-Wisconsin alum. I love, I love uh, sort of the ease with which that poem speaks about the beauty and joy of God's creation and just sort of marvels at it, marvels at badgers, right, and, and goats and, and the sea creatures, the way they play in the depths of the water. I don't play enough. Do you? I have a toddler. She's like an expert. It's her favorite thing to do. It's all she does, really. Like, that's the one thing she does is play all the time. When she wakes up, I talk to her about her day. And I say, what are you going to do today? And she says, play! Sometimes she tells me who she wants to play with or what kind of playing she wants to do. But she always says play. Sometimes it's in that excited, like, I cannot contain this. I have to tell you my plans for the day. And sometimes it's this very, like, matter of fact, I'm going to play. I'm going to play today. She never gets bored of it. Like, how do you get bored of playing? She never says, I'm done playing. Right now, she's really into magnetiles. I don't know if any of you know about magnetiles. It's a building tool. And she's learning how to, like, engineer things of her own creation, to build them up and then smash them down and build them up and smash them down again and again. And she just never really gets bored. She may move to another type of play, but she's never really done. She will draw 
just over and over again, the same squiggles, put the same hundred stickers on a piece of paper, come up to me and Cameron and say, I made this. And she gets so excited to put it up on the wall with painter's tape. She'll say again, I made this. And her creativity and her joy at play just abounds. We'll eat dinner and talk about how after dinner, we're, you know, we're going to set a timer, we're going to go upstairs, we're going to take a bath, we're going to get ready for bed, we're going to read some books. And she goes, okay. But first, we're going to play just a little bit. Just a little bit, we'll play a little bit. And her voice gets all high and squeaky like that, negotiating more time to play as though when we get into the bath, she's not just going to play in the water. The way that children first play when they're small, before they have too much of the outside influence in their imaginations, what is natural to us, to human beings, is a spirit of openness and curiosity. There's a kind of earnestness that adults can't really seem to hold on to. A naivete about the world that actually makes play more fun. The not knowing, the finding out, the discovering, the trying, the failing. These are things that actually adults don't have a lot of bandwidth for. We come to play with presumption, with hardness, with ego, but kids, when they're very small, we, when we were very small, did not. As we grow and even as we become adults, play is something that we need to do, that we long for. One uh, pastor described it as, play is something that we do for the sheer love of the activity. There's sort of an inherent purposelessness to play. It stands outside and sometimes against that churning will of production that we are also captive to. It doesn't prove our worth or our competency. Play is the thing that happens when we merely revel in being alive, and that takes our entire focus. Play is what we are doing when we adore creation and each other and ourselves to no end other than to just be alive and adore. Now we justify play in children because we see that it helps their development. We used to not do this. We used to put kids to work right away. We used to push for drills, for knowledge. And now more and more experts are getting on board saying like actually play is really important for development. Play is really important for learning. And therefore we justify, okay, they're learning problem solving skills. Kids are learning emotional regulation through play. Kids are getting motor skills through play. That's why it's okay. We see it and we justify it rather than assuming that there's just something inherently important about play to being human. If it is our most natural impulse about how to interact with the world. But what if all those benefits of play that studies show do not end in childhood don't justify play? What if they are not the purpose of play so much as evidence that play is a critical part of our nature? Adults are somewhat disallowed from playing, right? We've developed enough to be useful. We don't need any more skill building, so we'd better just get to work. 
Among adults, there's a kind of condescension about play, a sneering attitude of dismissal. How old were you the first time you heard, quit playing around? And yet, we still need play. We find ways to sneak it into our lives. We dress it up. We make it look more serious. We attach all kinds of metrics. We call imaginative play brainstorming or vision setting. We call physical play exercise and we take all the fun out of it. We even gamify our habits or our to-do list, not because it's fun, but because it's a great productivity hack. I recently admitted to Cameron that uh, my bullet journal is really just a fun sticker chart. I love it. Because capitalism tells us that our purpose is productivity. And if play isn't a hack for productivity, then what is it for? Capitalism says you are made to produce. Would you be shocked if I told you that capitalism had lied to you? We know that our purpose is not productivity, but what is left in the wake of that gap? What if, just come on this imagination exercise with me, play a little bit with me this morning, what if our purpose is play? Are some of you familiar with the Enneagram? I love the Enneagram. It is a personality um, typing paradigm. And some people will say that you can tell someone's Enneagram type by the way that they answer, what is your purpose for being? What is your purpose for being? I asked my mom that question once. She said, to help people. She's a two. (laughs) I asked uh, a nine that I love once what they thought, and they said, to create harmony among things. Now, I have a real strong seven wing. And when I think about it, my honest answer is, I think we are here to play. I think that we are here to play. Let's back up about our purpose. Let's talk about creation. Let's talk about God. What is God's reason for being? What is God up to in creation? Perhaps it's play. Think of God as a playmate. God interested, curious, open, building. Think of God as experimental and creative. Now it's strange to think of God as having qualities we attribute to children, right? But what if that's a part of divinity, a part of our divine inheritance that we lose as we age? that we get alienated from as we grow up under brutal capitalism? What do kids know about God and about the purpose of creation that becomes obscured to us in adulthood? Many of us can observe that children seem to have something, some sort of understanding about divinity and purpose and joy and life that eludes us as we age. G.K. Chesterton speculates about this process with regard to play. Can we throw that quote up? He says, 
Because children have a bounding vitality. Hmm, we've got a different quote. We can just pull those. I'll read it to you. Because children have a bounding vitality. Because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. Is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we Chesterton, with his outdated language, is keying in to the joy of play and repetition. The idea that we can delight in something over and over again and never stop to think, what is the purpose of this? But to merely delight and engage over and over and over. God never tires of you. God never gets bored of you. God never gets bored of the sunrise or the sunset. God never gets bored of the badgers and the mountain goats. God says, do it again. I love this. And so we can imagine God creating and creating, molding and shaping and bringing into being and then hanging it up on the wall of eternity with painter's tape and saying, I made this. I made this. Delighting and playing one of my favorite memes from the last few years um, is this dialogue, this repeated dialogue between God and the angels about making animals. Does anybody remember this? One has God talking to the angels about making ants. God, giggling, says, they're going to be so tiny. <laughs> and the angel's like, ants, tiny, got it. And God, suddenly tearing up, says, but OMG, so strong. <laughs> Making the octopus, God says, give it eight super strong arms and hands. And the angel says, ah, uh, we are out of bones. God says, okay, eight weird floppy arms with suction cup things. <laughs> Making the alligator, God says, you see that log? Angel says, yeah. God says, fill it with teeth. <laughs> the angel says, say again. God says, fill it. <laughs> God creates a kangaroo. Angel says, oh my gosh, that's such a cute animal. God says, thanks, it has pockets. How can we imagine God creating all that is around us in its absurdity and strangeness, in its beauty and delight, and not imagine a God at infinite play? 
God is playing with us. And we use that phrase only, only as a dismissal. God is playing with us and that is a good thing. We are invited to be at play with God. God delights in creating. Not just one time and set it loose, but God creates over and over again. God wants to create with us. That's why God made us creative. And every time we engage in creative, curious play, God is at play in, with, and through us. In the game of creation, we can think of God as player one. And God said, I want a playmate. God molded the Adam, the, the earth, into the first human being, player two. And God said, play with me. Name creation. God said, you need a playmate too. We'll bring one along. And more and more playmates entered the game. We like to think of God as a parent figure who is there for us when things are really hard. And that's beautiful. And it's important. But being with God can be about play and rediscovering the joy of play and connection. What if our relationship to God is primarily about play? What if we are turning to God only when we've fallen down and gotten hurt? Or when we feel like the world is too big for us? Can you imagine a parent-child relationship where the parent had no interest in playing? Or even stranger, a parent-child relationship where the parent is infinitely available to play, but the child has chosen to do more serious things, to be more productive, to not waste time playing. We are invited by our creative, playful creator God to play. We have been given that image and inheritance. What if play is God's intention for you? What if you were put on this earth not to suffer, not primarily to help anyone or to fulfill some sort of productive purpose? What if God brought you into this world to play, to spend time, to explore, to be curious, to enjoy? to discover, to delight. We shy away sometimes from play, not only because it's been trained out of us by an economy of churning production, but also because there is an inherent vulnerability in play. It can feel hard to play alone. I'm sure every one of us at some point in our lives has thought or murmured aloud, no one will play with me. But the gift of creation and the gift of God's presence is that you always have a playmate in God. God is always there with you, ready to laugh, ready to explore, to rock climb, to build, to draw, to dance, to marvel. God is there saying, play with me. Let's play. What are we going to do today? We're going to play. 
Who are we going to play with? Well, play with me, says God. How? How do we play with God? How do we become a people of delight and play and joy in a world that contains so much seriousness? I know that even here at Zao, this is maybe feels like an enormous departure because I keep talking about like genocide and stuff. The world is serious. There is a lot that we need to contend with and we cannot always be completely open to our playful nature because the world breaks it down and breaks it down. But it is an act of, of revolution. It is a cult, countercultural disposition to engage in play even in the face of atrocity or violence or oppression. It gives us what we need because we connect back to who we are, who we are at our core. We see creation for what it is, an act of joy and delight, an invitation to play and connect. And we see then sin and violence and oppression, all of these things, as whatever stands in the way of true, open, vulnerable connection and play. You deserve a playful life. You were made for it. And God beckons you, beckons all of us to join in this cosmic play. We will be talking about this for two more weeks. Next week, we'll be talking about how. How do we engage and play as a spiritual practice? How do we orient ourselves in a very serious, unplayful world toward the playfulness of God? But for this week, I invite you to just observe. I want you, like the psalmist, to look out at God's creation. Perhaps you focus on nature and the animals as that poet did. Perhaps you focus on the children in your life like I have. Perhaps you focus on the creative joy you find in your artwork or your place of work or your community or the games you play. But I'd like you to observe play. I'd like you to observe the way that play and delight and joy are baked in to the human experience. And I'd like you to imagine what it might be like to wake up and say, let's play. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you are at play even now. God, in your infinite nature, you are able to play and weep at the same time, to play and rage against injustice at the same time. God, you are able to be so serious with us when we need that, and somehow the through line of your character, your goodness, is open, earnest curiosity, joy, and play. May we enter into that with you. May we find the continuity of play in our lives. May we open ourselves. May we shed our pretenses. May we become like little children with you, delighting in your world and ready to play. Amen.